Welcome to a podcast from Alive Church in Newark. We believe that the gospel changes lives, so we hope you're ready to hear from God, be challenged and inspired. Here's our speaker for today. Wonderful. Good morning. <laughs> How are we all? Good, 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 good. One or two of us doing well. Fantastic. Well, good morning. For those of you who don't know me, my name's Howard. I'm, um, my job within the church is I'm the executive pastor of Alive. Uh, that means I have a wonderful joy of working across all of our locations, um, uh, facilitating really the vision of Alive under Stuart and Irene, our senior pastor's leadership. And I get involved in all the kind of operational aspects of the church, but also quite a lot of the ministry life of the church. And it's a thrill to be with you today. Uh, I'm married to Claire. Uh, Claire is what we call the family pastor of our location in Lincoln, and we've got three boys. Ethan, who turned 16 last week, which is just nutty. I mean, I, I, honestly, I don't look old enough to have a 16-year-old. I know that. Um, but obviously, I am. And a 13-year-old and a 5-year-old uh, called Elijah, who runs our house. And um, yeah, life is great. Tomorrow, uh, in a month's time, uh, will be Christmas Day. Who's ready? Anyone got their lights up yet? Crikey, well done, well done. That's um, that's just too early. Um, Christmas shouldn't start, I think, until December the 1st. Well, this morning, I'm, I'm going to bring a message this morning that I, um, I suppose it's one of those kind of fundamental Christian living messages. Uh, my title today is what I'm calling the gospel-centered life, the gospel-centered life. And I believe it's a message possibly for every single one of us here today, whether you know Jesus or whether you um, don't yet know Jesus or you don't yet, uh, haven't yet received his great love in your heart. Um, perhaps you've been walking with him for 30 or so years. I think there's something in this message for every single one of us. Um, because it's certainly been challenging me. It's been something that God's been speaking to me over um, the last nine to 12 months, where once again, I've become centered again on the great work of Jesus upon the cross. And there are so many things in the Christian life, so many things that come at us and things that we have to deal with, things that we have to walk through, things that we have to maybe align ourselves with. There's lots of activities, isn't there? There's lots of activity in the life of the church. And sometimes in the midst of all of that can be the temptation or the, or the distraction of losing Jesus at the centre of it all. Doing the thing doing the stuff, putting your Sunday game face on, turning up at church and going through the right routines or right behaviours and somehow in the midst of it all missing Jesus. So we're going to um, focus on this word, the gospel, and what it is to have a gospel-centred life. We're going to start today, if you've got your Bibles with you, by reading from Romans chapter 1. So I'd love you to turn there. We're going to read uh, from Paul's writing to the church in Rome. And the, if you imagine the church here, it's mostly a house church. In other words, they're meeting in people's homes. Um, it's under a certain level of persecution. Um, and he's writing into this church. And every time that Paul writes, he places the gospel at the center of his writing. And I want you to pick the thread up as he's speaking through this letter here. I want you to understand his passion 
for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And what I want to kind of lay before us today or outline in front of all of us is Paul had this passion for the gospel of Christ. How much more so for you and I today in this culture, in this age, in this day, in this time, should we centre our lives on the gospel and give a wonderful explanation of the gospel wherever God has placed us. So this is Romans chapter one. We're going to read right from the first verse and then we'll skip on to a couple of verses uh, later on. Paul a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. The gospel that God promised beforehand through God's prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding God's Son, in other words, Jesus, who as to his earthly life was a descendant of David and who through the spirit of holiness was appointed the Son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Let's skip on now to verse 14 to 17. I am obligated both to Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish. That is why I'm so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. So this morning, my title is The Gospel-Centered Life. And I want to just unpack that phrase, what that means, how I've begun to discover the life that I'm finding in having a life centered on the gospel. So let's unpack the gospel. So the first thing would be to actually unpack that word gospel. Now, if you've grown up in church or you've listened to any number of sermons, you've perhaps heard the gospel preached. Perhaps you've heard that word used a number of times. It literally means good news. So it's a message of good news. And uh, if I've got some good news, I don't know about you, but I love to share good news. The gospel is meant to be shared. It's good news to you. It's good news to I. It's good news to Newark. It's good news to the UK in this season. The gospel. But not only is it good news, it's also a number of other things which we'll come on to in a minute. But let's just define what is good news. What is this good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ? Well, for today and the purposes of today, when I say the word gospel, I want you to remember or uh, bring to your mind's eye the life, death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So I'll do it visually over here. So Jesus was born of a virgin. He lived. He lived for a number of years, lived in uh, what we would know now really as Palestine, that uh, Middle East area of the world, and lived a life and he was prophesied Um, through countless centuries before that he would come as the king and as the savior of the world. So he lived. He suffered a horrendous death through crucifixion and he died. He was buried. And then three days later, he rose again. As he rose again, he defeated the power of death. And then he ascended to heaven and is now seated at the right hand of the Father. He sat down because it symbolizes a done, finished, completed work. He doesn't need to stand again until he comes and returns back to earth. So Jesus Christ, the gospel, is the message of Jesus, the whole message. But as we look at the gospel today, I want us to focus our attention primarily on the death, 
the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So every time I say the gospel-centered life, what I'm really meaning is, how can my life be centered on the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus? Where is that in my heart? Where is that in my life? Where is that in Newark today? Where is that in this church today? Where is the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Is it at the center, or is it something we've placed on the periphery? Is it something we every so often return to, or is it the driving force of everything that we do. Because when I read Paul in Romans chapter 1, he's not ashamed of the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He's not ashamed of that gospel. It's the driving force behind every action that he has, behind every letter that he writes, behind every church planting mission that he's on, behind every apostolic. He has been set apart for that very same gospel, the death the um, burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So when we talk about the good news, that's what I'm referring to this morning, the death, the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But not only is that, it's also the power of God. We just read that in Romans chapter 1 this morning. Romans 1 verse 16 says this, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. It's the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. If you have made a decision to follow Jesus Christ, that is what we call a salvation moment. It's the laying down of your own life and you're handing it over to a saviour and saying, I'm going to make you Lord of my life. I'm going to submit my life to your will and your ways. That is the power of God. No man can make that happen. That's the power of God. And it's the gospel that is the power of God for salvation. It's the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ that is outworked there. The gospel is also something that is growing and fruitful. So in Colossians verse, uh, Colossians chapter 1 verse 6, it says this. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. You and I are sat here or stood here today because the gospel has been growing throughout um, centuries. The gospel is growing today. Every time you share your testimony with someone, the gospel grows and is fruitful. You sow a seed of the gospel into someone's life. Every time you pray for someone, when we were praying a minute ago, we pray under the power of the gospel and therefore the gospel grows and is fruitful. As we worship Jesus today, we do it in light of the gospel. So the gospel grows and is fruitful. So if you think today that there isn't an action of God, you know, God is silent. He really isn't. His gospel is growing and is fruitful. The gospel is also what I would refer to as the doorway to relationship with Jesus and the pathway of relationship with Jesus. So at that moment of salvation or conversion, Every single one of us steps through a doorway. It's the gospel that opens the door for us. It's the good news of Jesus Christ that allows us um, to uh, the, the, the restored relationship with our Father. It's the good news of Jesus. It's the death and resurrection of Jesus that allows that to happen. But it's also the wonderful good news that disciples us on the pathway of knowing Jesus on a daily basis. You know, it's not so for a one-off moment. You know, we don't just preach the gospel in order that the gospel does a job of salvation. Salvation is an ongoing 
work in our lives. I'm being saved continually. I have been saved and I am being saved. This wonderful sense that there's a continued work of Jesus happening in me. I am so thankful that God didn't stop with me just at the point of salvation, but he's done a work in me. He shaped me and changed me. There's been things happening in my heart. As I walked in today, I, I spoke with a number of you who perhaps I haven't seen for three months. I could see in your very demeanor today that God is doing a work in you. You know, I can see it in your in the very way that you greet people or the very way that you're, it's in your eyes. God is doing something. That's the gospel at work in you. It's his good news message that is the pathway of our lives. So the gospel, it is the power, it is growing and fruitful, and it's the door and the path. But not only that, it's Paul's top priority or central message. Wherever Paul preaches, he preaches the gospel. You know, we've already seen it just and he's not ashamed of it. So when he's speaking to the church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 2, he says this, I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. In other words, the gospel. In 1 Corinthians, again, a few chapters later, chapter 9, verse 16, when I preach the gospel, I cannot boast since I'm compelled to preach. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. And obviously Paul was a preacher. He would stand before people and preach, but each and every one of us has the ability to speak out the gospel or live out the gospel wherever God has placed us. Speaking to the church in Galatia, in Galatians chapter 6, verse 14, may I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. In other words, the gospel of Jesus Christ to Paul was the only thing he ever wanted to boast in. So that's the gospel. So let's move our thinking on now to this word centered. What do I mean by the word centered? So if we're a people to have the work of Jesus Christ centered in our lives, how do we imagine that? Well, I'm a bit of a visual learner. I learn uh, through seeing things. I'm also quite a kinetic learner. I learn through doing things. Um, So on this occasion, I've got a couple of images that have really helped me on this centering the gospel in my life. The first is this, to think of the gospel like the sun in the solar system. So the sun in the solar system is the center of the of um, the system that everything is attracted to by gravitational pull. In other words, all planets are held by the gravitational force at work through the sun. The sun is at the center of it, and the planets revolve around the sun because of the centering of that. And um, the gospel, in a similar way, in fact, more glorious than the sun in our solar system, can do exactly the same thing for all of us. The beauty of the gravitational pull of planets to the sun is that without it, planets would fly off into oblivion, into a a void, into a nothingness. The same with your and my life. Without the gospel at the centre of it, so often we're in chaos or in a void. And it's the gospel, when we centre that at the centre and the rest of everything else revolves around it through a pull to it, that actually things begin to make sense and align themselves. So there's the kind of one image of that. Another image, I'm going to need a couple of helpers. Ollie and Brim, would you help me for this? Ollie, would you grab one end of that and just walk it out that way? And Brim, would you take the, the rest of that and walk it out that way and keep it kind of chest height would be amazing. So 
For you historians in the room, um, I'm not one of them, all right, so forgive my slightly crude illustration, but I want you to imagine this red line is a timeline of time throughout history, okay, so it goes way back, God's always been, okay, so before creation, God was, and this, um, if you imagine Ollie has gone outside the room, that that line over there just continues that way. And God always will be, so this line continues forevermore, this sense Oh, you are kind. Thank you, gents. I mean, Ollie's nearly disappeared into the blackness of those. We've, we've nearly lost you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and this, so this really is, if you can imagine it, a timeline of history. So for everything, historical context has happened across this. And I want you to imagine now across all activity in the whole of the universe. Let's imagine this is the centre. The gospel sits at the very centre of it all. So let me talk about the Bible just for a moment in the way that you read and understand the Bible. So over here, the Old Testament of the Bible, everything that took place before Jesus lived, uh, everything in the Old Testament, whenever you read the Old Testament, read it through the lens of the gospel, the good news of Jesus. When you begin to read the Old Testament in the light of Jesus came, he lived, he died, was buried, he rose again, he ascended, and he's now seated at the right hand of the Father. Everything in the Old Testament pushes towards that. So everything that you read pushes towards the centrality of the gospel. And everything from, in other words, the New Testament, everything from the gospel moving forward happened because of the gospel because of what Jesus did upon the cross everything from that moment of time through to this very second of this moment of time happened because of what Jesus did upon the cross everything takes place so you can place the bible into the very center of this timeline and you can place the gospel right into the center of it so there's a couple of images that for me have been really helpful in understanding the centrality of the gospel but the other image that I find really helpful is to imagine this red line in a slightly different way. So I want you to now think about this red line as the gospel. So it's now changed its form. It now really is the gospel. I've chosen red simply to remind us of the blood of Christ. This sense that actually, if the gospel is to be central to everything, can I allow the gospel to run through my life. So we use that title, the gospel-centered life. What does it mean to have the gospel running all the way through my life? Well, when I begin to imagine things like, where do, how do I allow the gospel to run through my work? How do I begin to center my work with the gospel running through it? What about my finances or my money? What happens if I get a, start to get a revelation on what it is to allow the good news of Jesus, the gospel of Jesus, to run through my relationship. What would be different? How would they be shaped? What would it be like if I allowed the death and resurrection of Jesus to run through my hopes and my dreams or my aspirations? What about my family? What would it look like if, you know, that broken relationship in my family or that person who's yet to know Jesus, what if I started to think and believe that the gospel of Jesus could run all the way through the center of it. And I know this is another one God's speaking to me at the moment. 
What if my rest and my work and my rhythm had the gospel running through it, had the good news of Jesus? What if I was awakened every morning with a revelation that Jesus, because of his death and resurrection, can run through my finances today, can run through my work or my career today? In fact, not only that, but he's placed me in this place, in this position, because of the work of the cross. He's put me in a place because I'm now the ambassador of Christ in that place. Gents, thank you so much. That can just drop down. That's superb. Thank you. So what does it mean to have the gospel at the centre of my life? Well, for me, I've been learning a couple of things about what it looks like to have the gospel at the centre of my life. And again, a image has really helped me on this. And um, if you've got a camera phone, this image might be helpful to you in terms of your own discipleship. It certainly has been for me. But um, the gospel and the work of the gospel is, for me, it's the bridge between two um, two areas of my life that come into being at the moment of conversion and begin to be developed as I am a disciple of Christ. The first one of this at um, at conversion or um, the sense of allowing Jesus into my heart is I become growing, uh, have a growing awareness of how God is holy and how holy God is. I begin to become aware that God is not me and I am not God thankfully God is set apart and he is holy and the walk of a disciple should be that you and I become increasingly aware that God is holy now God doesn't get holier he is holy there is no more holier than holy he is holy but our awareness as we walk with God becomes greater of how holy he really is. So at the point of conversion, we just have an understanding that he is set apart. As we are discipled in Christ, we become greater aware. So the walk of a disciple through our years is to understand more of the depth and love of his holiness. The second thing, though, also at conversion is that we also become aware that we're sinful people, that we've got it wrong, that we've tried to do it in our own strength and actually we've failed. And the walk of a disciple is really to become a growing awareness that actually my sin is deeper than just what I thought it was at its first state. You see, my sin isn't my behaviours. My sin is the condition of my heart. And the condition of my heart is, from a humanity perspective, is broken. It is fallen. It falls short. And often in our sinful life, we pick up as as Christians, we pick up on the behaviours of those things. But actually, the root of that is way deeper than my behaviours. So at the point of conversion, I might have a few things in my head. I've got this wrong, God, from a behaviour perspective. But actually, as I walk with God, I get a growing awareness of actually the depth of my sin. And the cross, if we can put the next image up. Thank you, Emma. The cross... As we walk as a disciple, or the gospel of Jesus is so glorious and so wonderful that whether my depth of sin awareness and my depth of understanding of his holiness, wherever that grows to, the cross bridges the gap always between those two. The cross always bridges the gap. It is glorious. Now, we don't need new crosses for greater revelation. 
We just need a greater understanding of the grace of Jesus outworked through the gospel of Jesus. And when we can walk as disciples, having a growing awareness of the incredible gospel of Jesus, then it begins to bridge the gap between those two extremes. But if you're anything like me, um, those two extremes of understanding the depth of my sin and the understanding the greatness of his holiness are things that often I can't cope with. I can't cope with sometimes looking at the state of my heart and understanding that actually it is as sinful as I thought it, as I um, didn't ever imagine it could be. And also when I look at God, I can't handle his holiness from a human perspective. I can't handle how holy he is. So often in my life... Um, and I wonder whether this is true for all of humanity, I do a couple of things. The first thing I do is I start to pretend. I start to live a life where I pretend I'm not as sinful as I really am. And I start to tell myself lies or untruths. My head just fires off lots of stuff saying, you know, you're not really that bad. Or you're not as bad as that thing or that person. Or actually, look at all the good stuff I've done I can't be that bad. You know, so I'm rather than I'm not necessarily telling that to you, but I'm telling that often to myself. And I pretend that actually my sin isn't as deep rooted as it once was. And I begin to minimize the work of the gospel or begin to shrink the work of the cross in my life. The other area that I start to do is I begin to perform and I begin to minimize the greatness of his holiness, because I start to perform to earn my self-righteousness. My platform is this sort of thing. I've led worship for years. I'm now preaching and teaching and those sort of things. And so this is the area that is a battleground for me in terms of self-righteousness. Often, when, when you walk off a platform, people will want to thank you, which is amazing. Uh, please don't stop. It is amazing. And often people want to do that. They want to say, that was great. Thank you for that. It really helped me. And the trick that the devil wants to do behind the scenes in all of that is he wants me to receive that through, well, Howard, you're brilliant. Therefore, you don't need God to be as holy as he once is. In other words, you can perform like God in your own life. You can become more and more like God. And the more you do that, and the more I do that, I begin to shrink the gospel, the work of Jesus in my life. I begin to make Jesus a little um, dashboard Jesus. You know, those kind of little things that sit on the dashboard and nod their heads, those sort of things. He's, he's there in the car when I want him to be. But actually the gospel, when I allow it to be, deals with both my performing and my pretending. And I know that that's the state of my heart. I know those things are a battleground all the time. Areas where I'm looking for human um, uh, appreciation uh, and not receiving my love from God as my appreciation and my identity. And areas where I'm also telling myself I'm not as sinful as that because I can pretend to be better. But the wonderful work of the gospel is that God, through his grace, through the work of the gospel, has apportioned to us two great grace gifts, two great gifts to our lives that can overcome the performing and the pretending mentality that often we have in the midst of this. And they can once again allow us to step into a greater and um, overarching understanding of the power of the gospel. And the first is this. It's a big theological term. It's called passive righteousness. 
passive righteousness. And passive righteousness deals with all of my performing. In other words, when God sees me, he sees Jesus in me and he calls me righteous. Not because of what I've done, because of, but because of the work of Jesus upon the cross in defeating death, rising again. It's a passive righteousness. He sees the work of Jesus and I get to live in the wonderful outworking of that. He calls me righteous. I don't have to prove it. I don't have to do anything to receive that. I don't have to step and um, prove myself to my Father in heaven. I I am proved through the gospel of Jesus. And when I can center my understanding of that through all that stuff we had on this red line, I begin to see transformation in those areas. The other area that deals with my pretending is what we've just sung about. The other way is the revelation that you and I are adopted sons and daughters. When we begin to understand that we're adopted by our Father in heaven, we're adopted into his family. In other words, we are now in the bloodline of Jesus. We are now in the uh, everything has been purchased for us. We stand in that. When we have and capture a revelation of that and begin to live in the power of that, we then begin to counteract that human trait of pretending. You see, pretending is about me trying to find my identity, whereas God has deemed where my identity comes from, and it's been purchased through the gospel of Jesus Christ. So how do we trigger those things? How do we get those things working in our lives? How do we actually make that? Because it all sounds great in theory, doesn't it? But if you're anything like me, theory needs a practical outworking. Well, I begin to, to understand and begin to discover that actually I have to counter in my life the performing and the pretending mentality on a daily basis. And I do that predominantly by basing my reading and my declaration, my speaking on the word of God. So I centre myself on what God says about me. If your Bible reading feels a bit dry, begin to get a revelation that this is God's thoughts, this is God's words, this is God's dreams, this is God's outworking of his plan for your life. He has something to say about you. I, if you're anything like me, I'd much rather hear what God wants to say about me than what I want to say about me. Because often his narrative over my life is very different from the one that I want to speak over my own life. His narrative is always grace-filled. It's always good news. It's always rich. It's always something that he wants to do in me to see me developed. And that for me has been a revelation when I've read the word, understanding this is God's thoughts to me today. This is what God says about me today. And I've allowed that to then become part of a daily habit, uh, a muscle building habit of allowing his words to speak over my self-righteousness, in other words, receiving his passive righteousness and my own identity. In other words, receiving my identity as a son or a daughter of God. And when I've begun to, um, in the morning and in the evening, um, and in other parts of my day, to soak my day in understanding what God says, that's begun to become transformational in how I understand the centering the gospel in 
my own life. And um, all I would say, if, if this is a beginning journey for you in allowing the Bible to speak over your life, start in a way that you can manage. You know, don't try and launch tomorrow morning with four hours of Bible reading. You probably won't achieve that, okay? But start with a couple of minutes and allow a few verses to just speak to you. And the Bible asks um, to meditate on the Word. You know, allow the Word to speak to you. It's a living breathing word the word of God is alive so allow it to speak to you and that will form and then sorry the final thing on that in terms of building a habit is to confess the word as well you know the power is in our tongue so when we begin to speak out the word not just read it and absorb it but actually pray it back speak it out declare it in situations allow it to become something that absorbs into you and at that moment when the word becomes rich within you you have a counter narrative to what's going on in your own life and uh, as Paul said in the passage you know it's all activated by faith it's all activated by faith and faith really is us putting into action what we believe so there's a couple of trigger points from a discipleship perspective about how to allow the gospel to center your life but finally I want to um, just draw your attention really and my attention to what happens when we begin to live as people with the gospel at the center of us you see what happens at that moment of time is that our very um, everything that we give our time and attention to begins to be reshaped you see when the gospel grows within us it always leads to an outworking through us so when the gospel grows in us it always leads to an outworking through us in other words it'll always lead to mission it will always lead to us wanting to share the good news of Jesus in word and in deed. In Galatians chapter 5 verse 13 it says this, you my brothers and sisters were called to be free. In other words, to allow the work of the gospel to um, set you free. It's a freedom that you've been set free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. In other words, don't use that freedom solely to satisfy your own walk your own discipleship your own growth because it's for purpose and it says this rather serve one another humbly in love in other words once the gospel is growing in you it has to have an outlet through you it has to be shared from you when God's grace is working on us and in us then it will work it at it will work itself out through us I am I've preached lots of messages and I've heard lots and lots of messages that always conclude with a let's go out and do something about this. Let's go from this place and live as missional people. Let's go with the gospel in our hearts and allow that to change and transform our society. The danger of receiving that if the gospel isn't growing within us is that that now spurs us into works ministry. And the very um, danger of that is it also spurs us into resentment because we get fearful. Oh, I couldn't do that. I don't know how to do that. Um, but if we can allow the gospel, the good news of Jesus, to begin to grow and flourish in our hearts, actually the natural outworking is that we will share it. It won't be forced. It won't become something that we have to do because Howard told us on a Sunday, you know, get, get out there and do the stuff. It won't be that. It will be a natural overflow of what God is doing within us because the gospel is always growing and it's always fruitful. In other words, we can't contain it to ourselves because it is growing and working within us 
And how will it look? Well, it will look like a whole number of things. Whatever your context is, wherever God's placed you, it will look like the gospel permeating every part of it. If you work in an office, it will look ultimately like the culture of that office being shaped by the gospel because you are what we understand to be a kingdom ambassador. You're the carrier of Jesus's good news into that office. And because it's growing and fruitful, it can't do anything but help to change that office because you're there and you'll change it through your words and you'll change it through your actions it'll it'll look like us showing hospitality to our neighbors it will look like us beginning to shape and change this whole area of isolation that um, towns and cities and regions are now facing where so many people are lonely it will begin to shape that and change and speak to the narrative of that because it's growing and it's fruitful in us It'll be resulting in you and I being quick to forgive one another. It'll be resulting in you and I having a ministry of reconciliation. You see, the work of the cross, at the very essence of it, reconciled you and I to the Father. Um, So when we allow that to happen in our lives, when we receive that and accept it, it then allows us to be an overflow of that wherever we go. It will allow us to pray for and engage with our colleagues. It will allow us to share the gospel with a family member, it will maybe be serving someone in poverty, maybe giving generously. There's a whole number of things that because of what Jesus demonstrated upon the cross for you and I, you and I will be shaped in that and we'll be living that out wherever God has placed us. So the gospel begins at conversion in our lives. The gospel grows through discipleship and the gospel results in mission. You and I being missional wherever God has placed us, not because it's a task, but because it's the overflow of what God is doing in our hearts. This morning, I'd love to conclude with two prayers. The first prayer is a prayer we pray here uh, at Alive, week in, week out. It's a prayer to begin that receiving of the gospel into our hearts. It's a prayer that says, Jesus, I've tried to do this on my own way, and I'm now at the point where I know that you're real and that I want to receive you and make you Lord of my life. And the way we do this here at Alive is every single one of us will say this prayer together. And at the end of us saying this prayer together, I'll ask everyone to bow their heads. And if you've said this prayer for the very first time, and you'd love to receive this good news message, this gospel message for the first time in your life, I'd love you to raise your hand. And then a couple of my friends have got a little book and a little gift to give you and would love to just help you with that decision and and just explain what receiving Jesus means. And then... And get you plugged into the life of the church in order that you can go on this journey to allow the gospel to grow in you as well become a disciple a follower of Jesus so we're going to say this prayer it'll be on screen why don't we say this together every single one of us and read this out thank you God for loving me before I ever loved you thank you Jesus for dying on the cross for me thank you that I can get connected to you now because you are alive today I admit that I have lived my life without you and have messed up. I ask for your total forgiveness and I commit myself to you. Help me to submit my life to your teaching and direction from now on. And I receive you into my life and ask you to fill me with your Holy Spirit. Amen. Wonderful. Let's bow our heads in this place. That last line of the prayer, I receive you into my life. The gospel is a gift. It's a good news gift. It's just like Christmas, someone bringing a gift to you. And all we have to do is receive. 
receive. I'd love it if this morning you want to receive that gift. Would you just raise your hand for me this morning? We'd love to bring a book to you. We'd love to introduce you to Jesus. Is there anyone here this morning want to make that decision? Church, as I was preparing this message, and um, let's just stay in a, an attitude of prayer. As I was preparing this message, I felt there was perhaps two distinct pe- people groups I'd love to pray for today. The first people group are for those of you who identify with me, who see the traits of performing and pretending in your lives. Those who see the trait of, you know, you pretend because it's actually too hard to see the depth of your sin. And when you begin to look at the depth of the sin, actually in that area, you've not yet allowed the gospel of Jesus to speak life to it. And the other body of people, those who are performing, those whose, you know, your platform may not look like like mine, but your platform is wherever someone's saying you're doing so well that you get all of your identity from that. It makes you feel righteous. Maybe your righteousness is in your finances. My finances are doing well. Maybe your righteousness is in, I don't know, weight loss. I'm doing really well in that and I'm, I'm doing great. Maybe your righteousness is found in the way that you're raising your kids. You know, my kids are well behaved, so I must be doing well. Maybe your righteousness is in a whole different area. But God wants to speak the gospel into that area today. So if that's you today, just receive as I pray. Just receive the work of the gospel. Father, I thank you that your gospel, your good news the work of the cross speaks life into every area of our lives. And I pray, oh God, for my friends here today, for anyone who's struggling in the area of performing before you or struggling in the area of pretending before you. I pray, oh God, today that by your grace, there'll be a revelation in our hearts of how much you love us. And you'll allow us in the coming days and over the next week to begin to develop a habit where we begin to understand that you call us righteous without us ever having to do anything. And that you call us sons and daughters adopted. We're no longer orphans. We are sons and daughters of you. And I pray, oh God, that that revelation will blow through this location in these coming days. I pray that people will awake in the morning and at the beginning of their day, they'll have a revelation that they're righteous and that they're a son or a daughter. At the the close of the day, as they reflect upon what's taken place that day, they'll have the same revelation. And I pray that this location will grow with a wonderful depth of insight of who people are in you and a wonderful depth of insight and revelation of the power of the gospel. I pray this location will never lose at the core of who you are, the power of the gospel. I pray that God will save you and keep you from any distractions that will come and try to rob you of that. But at the centre of this place will be the work of the gospel. And my final people group today I want to pray for is anyone again like me around mission and being missional and allowing the gospel to flow through you, you've become a bit crippled because um, it's a task. It's something that you feel you've got to do, but you don't know how to do it. Um, I'm going to pray, and I pray that there'll be an empowerment of the Spirit today that will be a revelation of the gospel, which will allow the overflow of the gospel wherever God has placed you. 
Father, I thank you for every member of this body. I thank you for every person here today. And I pray particularly today for those who have tried mission stuff in the past, maybe got things thrown back at them or, you know, they felt crippled or not knowing how to outwork it. They don't know whether they're prepared enough or trained enough or resourced enough. And they've made, in some ways, excuses before you. I pray, oh God, today, by the empowerment of your spirit, there'll be a revelation of the gospel that spurs us into the overflow of the gospel through our lives. I thank you so much for Paul's writing, oh God, that says the gospel is growing and is fruitful. I pray, Lord, that the evidence of the gospel in our lives is that we will be growing and fruitful, that we will be seeing an overflow of the gospel wherever you've placed us. I thank you so much for this wonderful body here, oh God. I bless you in the mighty name of Jesus. And I pray that the gospel will grow and be fruitful in you and through you in these coming days, weeks and months. In the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. What an honour to be with you this morning, uh, Alive Newark. It's been great. Ollie, you're going to lead us and um, let's stand as we sing and we close this morning's meeting. Bless you. That's all from us today. Thanks for listening. We pray you have a great day.